Hello, and welcome to Think Like a Game Designer. I'm your host, Justin Gary. In this podcast, I'll be having conversations with brilliant game designers from across the industry with a goal of finding universal principles that anyone can apply in their creative life. You can find episodes and more at thinklikeagamedesigner.com. In today's episode, I speak with John Barry. John runs Forged Gaming, which is a producer of accessories and gaming devices and an upcoming cool new magnetic Game Master board uh, that's coming to Kickstarter and it's probably live uh, as this episode airs. Uh, John has been a friend of mine for about two years. I met him at uh, Gen Con, and it he's really been a great force in the industry. And even though he's not a game designer per se, he designs a lot of products that players know and love and has a lot of great insights into the operational logistics and the business side of the industry. So I thought it would be great to kind of get some exposure to those ideas and really help to clarify what it takes to take a idea from full concept all the way through to being able to sell in stores. And so he has a lot of great insights here. Um, We talk about the process of creating uh, 3D models and concepting. We talk about the influence of AI and the future of gaming. We talk about how you do market research and what it takes to fulfill and become your own distributor versus working with other distributors. We really get into a lot of the behind the scenes of what happens Uh, as things get actually how games get into your local stores how games get to you we talk about the importance of communication skills and how to develop those skills how to build relationships how to create genuine value and also i reveal a few little easter eggs that are in some of the stoneblade products which i don't think i've ever revealed before uh but those come a little later in the episode so you'll have to listen in to hear about those and just you know we talk about those little details and how those little details really matter in the products we create and what it means to be an artist and to have an artistic creation what success looks like. Um, So there's a lot of really great content in here. We talk a lot about some of the cool products he's working on. uh, And he'll see comes across just a really great guy, really great person to have around in the industry. And I thought it was just a great different perspective to bring to bear. So hopefully you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed recording it. So without further ado, here is John Barry. Hello and welcome. I am here with John Barry. John, it's great to have you on the podcast, my friend. Thanks, Justin. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah, so this is actually going to be an interesting one because, you know, normally, you know, most people I bring on this uh, podcast are game designers specifically. We do have some other people from areas around the industry, uh, including, you know, CEOs and, you know, different you know, designers from different types of graphic design and otherwise. And you're you're kind of more of a of an operations specialist, I guess is how I've, I think of you, but how would you, how would you describe yourself if you were going to kind of give people a, an overview of your, your role in the industry and and what your, what your superpowers are? Well, well now, now I'm a little (laughs) (laughs) self-conscious. No. So no, I think that's, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, traditionally I've got a a pretty strong operations and project management background. Uh, I like to think that I am also uh, a creative, and uh, I do take a, a pretty active role in a lot of the product development that we do at Forged. But uh, but no, you're not wrong. It's uh, primarily my role is is operations and uh, keeping our projects moving along and making sure that uh, making sure that that our customers and our stores uh, have the have the Forged products that they want uh, when they want them. Yeah, and so I want to I want to dig into this stuff because I think for a lot of people that are designers, what you do is uh, is a complete mystery. It's like this black box of uh, uh, you know of magic that happens that suddenly turns something into something you know an idea into something beautiful that's actually delivered and functional and you know gets into into stores hands and players hands. And you know, as someone as myself who is you know both designer and CEO and have had to deal with all of the aspects of the business. Um, I, I've learned the hard way how, how difficult this can be and how valuable it is to, you know, have some insights into what works and what doesn't. And so I was hoping to bring you on to just dig into a little bit more about your background and how you got to kind of where you are and hopefully, uh, surface some insights that would be really useful for people out there who, who really just don't know, you know, maybe they've got a great game idea, but they really just don't know how to bring it to life or, you know, they want to make some kind of cool accessory. What does that look like? Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so I'm happy to sort of dig in and, and, you know, kind of 
maybe just starting uh, a little bit about how you how you kind of got into the industry and like kind of what your what your origin story is here. So the my the whole origin story is probably uh, would take longer than this uh, take longer than we have here today. But as far as the gaming industry goes, uh, that's it's it's also interesting. So, but a little bit shorter. Uh, so I've just been take it short. I like it. Perfect podcast content. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I like a lot of folks uh, that that you and I know. I've been. I've been involved in, in gaming in one way or another since I was a kid, you know, it started, uh, the earliest that I can remember, uh, you know, I grew up watching my stepbrothers play risk and got really, got really into anything that they were doing. And that extended into Dungeons and Dragons when they started playing Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, one of the things I remember is going to the bookstore, uh, when I was a kid in the mall and, and seeing the Dragonlance Chronicles books on the shelf and really attracted to that, uh, Larry Elmore art. And that kind of started me down the, started me down the path that I'm, that I'm on today. And, but as far as my, like, uh, professional involvement in the industry, um, a few years ago, uh, the, the owner of the parent company of Forge Gaming was interested in, in, in selling the company and he I was introduced to him uh, by a friend of mine and we sat down and we had a conversation and we started going through the motions of, of what that uh, of what that might look like you know in terms of, of selling a company and stuff like that and ultimately I we we decided that you know it wasn't the right time but you know I put on my kind of consulting hat and you know one of the roles that I have have played professionally over the course of the last 20 years is in uh, marketing and, and marketing project management. And so I put that hat on and I said, you know, these are the things that this is what I think you have. And these are the things that I would, that if, that if I were in charge, these are the things that I would do and that I think would not only increase the value of the company, but, but put, put, you know, put the, put the forge brand on a, on a path to, to greater success. And, um, a few months later, he called me up and asked me if I was interested in, in working with him on, kind of executing that plan. And that's kind of the path I've been on for the last three years. All right. So I want to, I want to dig in a little bit more here because that's this sort of, you've, you've mentioned a lot of subjects here that are pretty fascinating to me. There's just the general, like, okay, I feel like selling my company now and you're having a conversation around either potentially buying it or helping him to navigate a sale or like, uh, but, yeah. So I, I, I was approaching the situation as a, as a potential, as a, uh, my friend and I were, were the potential suitors. Potential okay. Buyers. Okay. So then, so, so walk me a little bit through what does that look like? So you're, you're saying, okay, cool. You got a company now. What makes you decide you want to buy it? You don't want to buy it. What does that analysis look like? I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this sort of thing. You know, I think for me, I, that's a complicated question. Um, it was, I was at a point and I'm, I guess, you know, you, you get to a point I'm always interested in, uh, I've always been interested in kind of being the master of my own destiny to, to one degree or another. And when uh, the, my friend and I have, have always been kind of in tangentially related industries throughout our careers, we, you know, her, her brother and I are best friends. Uh, so we all kind of grew up together in a small town in Missouri. And she and I have, have been in similar industries and similar roles throughout our careers. And we were just at a point at that period in time where, where we were talking about, it just came up one day, like, you know, we should really find something that we, we could do together as a business. And she said, oh yeah, by the way, uh, I have these friends that uh, have a, an e-commerce business and they're interested in, you know, they're potentially interested in selling. And that's kind of how that conversation started. And so uh, I think that's, I think that answers your question. It, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I mean, and maybe that's not, it's too much detail for this, but I, you know, when I think about the dollars and cents of approaching it, right. So I've, I've raised money as my company and I understand the kind of prospects of doing that. There's some amount of the, you know, current financials and things that you're doing. There's some amount of the selling the dream of, you know, what's next and here's the tra trajectory we're on. Um, I even had, I even was approached by another company to buy my company at one point now, what, seven, seven or eight years ago, which I'm, uh, almost went very far down that road and very glad I ended up not selling. But, uh, you know, I just sort of coming at this from an outsider, bringing it in. I just think it's really, uh, it's kind of intriguing if it was like, yeah, Hey, this is something we'd want to do. 
uh, but it's not right because there's something that said this isn't right and there was the, the business wasn't on the right trajectory or you weren't like it wasn't quite the right fit but it it turned out to be the right fit for you to to end up running it and doing making these changes which sounds very similar to you know buying it except less capital exposure i guess so i was just curious yeah. like what that what that thought pattern looks like there for you so at the time it it was it, it wasn't that it wasn't a good fit it just it wasn't it wasn't the right time it turned out to not be the right time for me it wasn't the right time for uh for my friend and and really a lot of what it came down to was i didn't know anything about e-commerce at that time and that was the primary kind of the primary function of the of the parent company and i just wasn't going to be i just wasn't going to be comfortable and it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been a good you know i've got a lot of faith in my ability to to get things done but it you know it wouldn't have been the wasn't the responsible decision at that time to try to go out and raise money to 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 do something that i didn't really understand does that make sense yeah, no, that makes sense. And so then what is it that then changed or what is it that you either learned or uh, then applied to then be able to make this more in your, either you brought it more into your wheelhouse or you expanded your wheelhouse. So what 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 were the key lessons there or, or principles that helped you to actually take this company and grow it? Maybe it's so also I worth explaining what they do exactly because we haven't really talked about that yet. So, well, I mean, I, we can start there. So so the parent company of Forge Gaming is, is called twofold supply and plays a very, uh, there are, are five brands uh, in-house. Forged is the is the largest brand in terms of kind of revenue and activity. Um, but there are four other brands that are also successful and ranging in, you know, ranging in markets from uh, like office supplies and stationery to home goods like uh, essential oil diffusers and things like that. So it's a, it's a pretty diverse portfolio. Uh, primarily existing, uh, the brands primarily exist online, except for Forged, which now is, is taking on a, a growing and increasing role in, in brick and mortar, you know, brick and mortar game stores. And that was one of the things that was really important to me from the beginning, which was to, uh, was to create, was to create products and, 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 and to build a brand that was focused on providing great products to, you know, those brick and mortar friendly local game stores, you know, like basically like the one that I grew up in with in Jefferson city, Missouri. So, uh, so that's, that's what the company does. And then what, what brought me, what really sucked me in was the opportunity to work, you know, with a brand like forged in an, in an area and in a market that I had never had any professional exposure to up to that point, but had had a lifelong exposure to from a from a player and a fan's perspective right so you know then taking my kind of professional career experience in in uh you know marketing and uh marketing management project management branding things like that and bring and really bringing that into this world and helping build the forge brand into you know what it is today yeah. So, so, you know, and I, I really, I, I love to get into the details here, right? So you're bringing in all these years of experience and marketing management experience and, you know, what does that translate into in concrete terms, right? Somebody out there that's listening that says, Hey, I want to, I want to make a cool accessories company, or I want to launch my game and get it, take it into stores or, you know, publish other, you know, things like, what is it? What, what, what are the specifics that say, okay, these are like areas of expertise I'm able to apply and transform this company into what it is today. So I think I'll, I, can, I can kind of approach that from a slightly, from a slightly different angle, right? So, you know, for me coming into this, situation it was it was doing a lot of of due diligence out out in in the real world like going to uh spending a lot of time in uh my local kansas city game stores and getting a real sense of what their pain points were and where what they wanted to see from uh from the brands that they were partnering with or you know, in, from, from a, uh, from a customer perspective, what it was that they wanted to see in their stores and how they wanted to be treated and how, you know, again, you know, what were the real pain points that they were facing in the marketplace? And then from there kind of 
building, you know, building on that with the building on that with, with forest and making sure that we, uh, making sure that we were able to meet those, uh, to meet those demands. Yeah. All right. So, so general principles, right. Cust- direct customer research, talk to the people you wish to serve, find out what their pain points are, find out what they're looking for, figure out how to meet that need. And so then again, just drilling in for specifics, like what were the specific points that they said, what was missing in the marketplace? What are the things that stores are looking for to say, yeah, I'm okay to carry this, whether that, you know, be accessories line or otherwise. What are so I think, I, uh, I think those are, uh, it's not all that mysterious from what, what most, what most, uh, what most vendors would, or what most stores would want. But in this case, it was, it was consistent, you know, things like consistency in, in both, you know, product availability and quality. And then from a quality perspective, stores don't, stores don't like to have unhappy customers, right? So, you know, it's important for those stores to have, to, to, present to their customers quality products, especially when you're in a, in a price range, excuse me, in a price range, uh, a higher end kind of premium price range, like a lot of forged products, which are still really affordable comparatively speaking, but that are more expensive than uh, dice, for example, like um, a set of high quality metal dice is going to be more expensive than a, than a, a set of quality plastic dice. And so stores don't want to deal with unhappy customers. They want to be able to have faith in the fact that when they sell when they sell a product that they've got a reasonable, they're reasonably confident that that product is that customer is not going to come back in the next day upset because of the, the poor quality of the product. And so uh, those were a couple of the things. And then, and then, you know, variety and availability of, of a diversity of product catalog. You know, those were the things that, uh, that stores were really looking for. And just to expand on that diversity aspect, you know, Forged uh, is an independent distributor of its own products. And so what that means is that, you know, we're not in distribution with any of the major, with any of the major distributors that serve game stores in the United States or, or other, you know, places in the world for that matter. And so for a store to work with us, you know, they're going outside of their traditional uh, mass market distributors. And so if they're going to make that effort, it's going to be important to them that it's worth, it's worthwhile. Uh-huh. All right. So I think this is a good opportunity now to zoom back out because for a lot of people listening, they don't understand the structure about how things actually get. How do those products that they see on their store shelves actually get to stores? What are the what's the what's the system that goes on behind the scenes here? Um, so I think it's worth maybe highlighting that what the general path is, maybe how you differentiate from it, um, because I think that's like an area where you have a lot of insights where for most people, they're just like, oh, well, you know, whatever. I just buy the game when it shows up or I buy it on yeah. Amazon or I buy it on a short shelf and that's it. Uh, what, what, what maybe you can give a little insight into like what really is going on behind the scenes here. Um, sure. and, and, you know, I think that we can dig in at various points. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we can start at the, at the, you know, if you're a, if you're a designer or a developer and you have a product that you've, that you haven't, you have a great idea, or you and you vetted that idea, and you've tested it. So you've got a new game. Um, you're you're going to have to not only get that thing manufactured, but but that's you know that's just the first that's just the first part of it. That's probably a whole that's probably a whole another show. Um, but once you have that product manufactured, then you're going to need to get it. You're going to need to get it into stores. You're either going to sell it yourself uh, through some type of online you know e-commerce store. You're going to sell it to uh, you're going to or on a platform like like Amazon, for example, Um, or you're going to work with a big distributor who's going to either, you know, purchase your product outright or or come to some other type of of uh, of arrangement for your for the distribution and sale of your products. Or you're going to have to go to you're going to have to create your own distribution network and reach out and build store relationships and sell that sell that product or sell that game directly to stores yourself. So, uh, I mean, that, the, that is a big part of, it's probably not every single way that, that a product's going to get to market, but that's, that's going to cover, you know, 85, 90% of, of it, I think. So, yeah. And, and it's, I think people just don't appreciate how much sort of work and effort is involved in those steps, right? Like, so typically, you know, you'll find a deal with a, a distributor who can handle a large number of stores, but then they're taking a cut out of that sale and you have to manage that versus your own 
you know, warehousing and distribution solution, trying to build direct relationships with stores so they carry your product, making sure that, you know, customers are aware of it and going to those stores. Like there's a huge pipeline of things. It takes takes a lot of effort. And if you're a small brand or small company trying to kind of get going, it's not easy to kind of grow that network, especially when you're doing, you know, kind of direct store to store sales as as you guys are doing. Um, you and I met at a Gen Con was well, a couple years ago now. Um, yeah, years and, ago. and, uh, you know, I've noticed you being very present at conventions and, uh, you know, hosting events and bringing people in. Is that, has that been your, one of your primary ways to kind of grow or are you going, calling stores up? Or are you doing a road show? Like what's your, what's your main tools that you use to sort of bring these new customers in and, and start supporting and growing your network? So there are a lot of, uh, it's, it's a little bit of everything that you kind of mentioned. There's, uh, the, I don't know that I have any particular secret formula other than just, other than consistency. It, it, you know, when I, but a lot of it is it's calling stores and building, you know, building those direct relationships. And then, uh, it's, it's hard work. It takes, it's a lot of, you know, it's not just one phone call and then a store signs up and, and then you're, you're selling them product. It's, it's a lot of, it's just a lot of work and a lot of consistent, uh, a, a consistent contact work and following through and, and making sure that you, you know, that you do what you say you're going to do and, uh, and, and going to conventions surely is, is, is sure is part of it. Um, meeting, uh, meeting exciting and interesting people. Uh, you know, you and I, I think, uh, we bumped into each other in the lobby of, of the Hyatt at Gen Con and, you know, just, <laughs> just kind of hit it off based on the similarity of our names. You know, <laughs> that is true. We did. We did just start joking about Justin Gary, John Barry becoming friends. Yeah. And I had soul forge and you had forged gaming and, yeah, so exactly. and so, best friend. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and, 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 you know, those are the types of things that are only going to happen at conventions and are only going to happen if you, if you put yourself out there in some way. And so, um, so we do, you know, we have hosted a few events and we are, that's a lot of fun, but really it, you know, for me, the, the, my, my favorite part of this work and and the marketing and the kind of the grassroots effort of building the company is, is being present in not only my local game stores, but, but making, you know, making myself and the team uh, available to two stores to handle customer service issues and to uh, walk them through, you know, our product catalog and, and, and help them uh, help them, with orders of what's, you know, what our most popular products are, what we see, uh, what we get kind of insights that we see in, in, in the market at the moment so that they can make the best decisions that, that they can at the moment with the information available to them so that, you know, uh, they can be successful with, with us and we can be successful with them. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's really just one of those things that, um, it's, there's no, there's no substitute for just like building relationships you know, over time directly being genuine, like being, you know, you, that's one of the things I, I love about this industry and I can't necessarily compare it to too many others because it's pretty much the only industry I've really worked in, but it just feels like, you know, we are here because we love what we do. We love this space. We love gaming. We love the communities that it's here. And so everybody, you know, if you own a game store, it's not because you're trying to make the most money you can typically speaking, right? It's not, it's not the most, uh, lucrative industry to jump into and 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 most people here could be making more money doing something else but they're here because they love it and so being able to like share that enthusiasm and then support each other to ideally make you know plenty of money but also you know just continue to do what we do and grow the community is is just a it's such a uh powerful and rewarding and reinforcing thing that has has certainly uh, served me well over time, just continuing to add value to the community and make friendships and relationships. And I think it's just the best, you know, it's kind of generic, but it's some of the best advice for anybody that wants to really build a career here over the long term. Yeah. I think I honestly, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any substitute. I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's no substitute for just being present and, and putting yourself out there and meeting uh, if you're interested in if you're interested in being an active part of this industry on a professional level, uh, just being present and, and making yourself open to to opportunities that may come along. It's the it's the biggest it, it's the biggest piece of advice that I could probably give anybody. 
So, so let's take this because I got to imagine, um, you know, you and I are pretty outgoing people. We have uh, no trouble, uh, you know, engaging and uh, being uh, uh, active in a crowd. Uh, you know, there are some people who don't feel that way, right? There's some people who feel introverted or shy or, you know, that maybe will have trouble kind of just going out there and, you know, putting themselves out there like that. Uh, I don't know if, if, if you have any advice for those people or thoughts on, you know, if, if they can still use the same approach or other ways that they can kind of build up that confidence or were you always like this or did you, did you have to learn this skill or how, how do you think about that? Uh, no, I was, uh, I was a pretty, I've, I've probably always been this way to some degree and, and, you know, but I've, I was a really awkward kid, you know, there's no, uh, there's just no way around that. Um, but I grew up in a pretty vocal boisterous household where if I, you know, if, if, if I wanted to be heard or I wanted to, if, if I wanted to be heard, then I had to be, I had to be loud because everyone else, if we had a big family dinner, extended family, everyone was talking really loudly and, and being very passionate about whatever it was they were talking about. So I, I kind of had exposure to that at a very young age. And, and obviously I, 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 I reacted to it the way that I did. And it, it, it's kind of one of those things that's made me who I am. And yeah, um, I, I don't, I think that that's certainly not going to be the same for everybody. And so, you know, in this context, if there's somebody out there who, who, who maybe isn't as, as, as confident or is a little bit, uh, or, or is a little bit shy, you know, talking to strangers or putting themselves in, in putting themselves in situations where they might be around people they don't know. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't know what to say other than if it, if it's, if you're just a little bit trepidatious, um, then start small. Uh, if it, if it's something that you're, if it's possible for you to do, um, and it, and you're comfortable just starting small, then say hi to the, you know, say hi to the person at the, at the next retail experience at the cash register or wh whatever it is when you're checking out just, or the person that drops off the mail or the Amazon driver or somebody that's walking their dog by, you know, just walking by, you know, just, and, and just, start small like that and see how it goes. Um, I think that a lot of, I'm going to sound very, I don't mean to sound patronizing or, or anything like that, but I think that modern, the way that, that people communicate now is a lot different than the way that you and I grew up communicating with our peers. And so uh, you don't, it is not necessary uh, it's not as necessary for individuals today to have those direct interpersonal interactions like it was for, for me growing up. Uh, and I said, you and I, I'm, we're, we're about the same age. So, um, and so, you know, it, kids these days. Yeah. Then that's, that's where I'm really trying to, avoid. <laughs> like the these days, <laughs> but, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying not good, not bad. It's just different. And yep. so, but, but, you know, people seem to react well and positively, you know, on the whole, uh, at least for me, to to those personal and direct interactions. And so, for those people out there that that may not be as comfortable or may not have had as much experience, uh, you know, talking to strangers, let's say in a positive context, uh, I would say just practice and start and start small and see how it goes. And if you and if and if it doesn't go well, uh, and and you and you are interested in in getting your ideas out there or, or or your game out there, but you're just not comfortable talking to strangers. Something a piece of advice that I would give to somebody who just couldn't do it would be to align themselves with a friend uh, or a confidant or a trusted uh, third party who can play that role on their behalf. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's great advice on both fronts, right? Yeah, sometimes, you know, if you're, you're, you're not that, you can't be that kind of front person, you know, role and, and be the one that's going to do the talking. You could find someone else who can be. But I think it's always, always, always worth it for you to stretch and push to get better at that. There's no single skill that's going to unlock more doors for you than communication, right? The ability to get your ideas across, to share enthusiasm, to connect genuinely with other people. There's just, that is the universal superpower. And so I, I agree with, you know, everything you said. And I think, you know, just practicing, I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle of teaching my Think Like a Game Designer Masterclass right now, yeah. and we're getting them ready. They're all going to do live pitches to real publishers at the end of the course. And it's a 12 week course. And, you know, 
designing a game and getting it ready to pitch to real publishers and have a whole thing in 12 weeks is very aggressive. And so people get nervous, right? And it's like, no, listen, you need to practice this. And so get, you know, every time you talk about your game, work on your elevator pitch, go tell your mom, tell your friends, like go through, what does it look like? How do you explain the game in two minutes? How do you explain the game in five minutes? How do you go through these things? And just getting practice over and over and over again uh, is absolutely critical for being able to uh, get better at it because it's not a skill that everybody has. It's not a skill that people are born with. It's a skill that you get better at the more you do it. And if you are lucky enough to have a loud family that is doing the, uh, you know, forcing you to be loud and practice early, then no problem. Uh, if you don't have that, <laughs> then you get to have that practice later on in life, and it's super critical. So um, I think it's a it, it's a really valuable skill. It's something that came across to me is you know you're particularly good at, and I think is is if you're gonna you know, try to start your own business and sell your own stuff. It's, it's a, it's a non-negotiable skill. Yeah. And one of the things that I, and I think you kind of alluded to this. Um, one of the things that I like to kind of say is I, you know, I want to continuously challenge myself and, and I try to get, I have tried very hard to be comfortable with being uncomfortable in, in putting myself in situations that are, are challenging in, in a lot of different ways. And I think that, um, I think it's just, I think it's just really important. All right. So I wanted to, um, also talk, I know you've got a good, uh, new project coming up that you were pretty excited about. I'd love to get into some details about that. And maybe I think we're shifting over to crowdfunding and kind of the decision-making process around that. Sure. So, yeah. And thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. So we, we've been working for the last, uh, more than a year, I guess now at this point, uh, on a, a very unique uh, game master screen project uh, with a few of our with, with a few of our industry friends, and uh, we launched that project here in uh, at the end of actually uh, nine days from now, I think. So uh, I'm not sure when this is going to. Oh well, yeah, this recording won't air exactly the right time. So very soon, possibly. Probably a lot. It'll probably be live when the time this thing goes. Yeah. So, so very soon we're launching very soon. And it has been a, it has been a very interesting exercise. We have never crowdfunded any of our products before or any of our projects. So this is a first for us. Uh, fortunately, we are uh, part, we've partnered with uh, some folks who do have some experience uh, with, with crowdfunding, but, but really even beyond that, this has just been a great, uh, a very interesting experience and just the, the, the different product development process uh, for this crowdfunding exercise versus what we would normally do. And so we're, we're really excited. The project is we, we've gotten a great response. Uh, we're really ramping up. We're really we're ramping up well. And I just can't wait. I can't wait for it to hit the market and uh, see how to see how people really react. So so okay talk to me a little bit more about this product what makes i've seen i know what a game master screen is kind of maybe some people in the audience don't what is it what is a game master screen and what makes this different why is this special so a game master screen uh primarily used in tabletop role-playing games uh for the for the game master the individual that's responsible for for running kind of running the game and organizing the game uh allows them to uh it's basically a physical barrier between that individual and the players of the game around the table. But what it really, rather than being a, a physical barrier, what it really is, is allows the, allows the game master to organize information uh, that the rest of the players may not necessarily need to see for the sake of the game. And so uh, to allow the game master to, to more efficiently, you know, run the game without having to take breaks to to look up, you know, uh, information in, in books or online or, or things like that. So, all right, piece of cardboard with printing on it. Cool. Now, uh, in its in its, most, in its most basic <laughs> and rudimentary form. Yes, <laughs> that's okay. Most of what I make is pieces of cardboard with printing on it. So <laughs> it's pretty much my whole career. So don't worry. Um, okay. So, um, <laughs> but uh, so okay. So what's why is yours? Uh, why is yours special? So what we've done is we've. We said when we set out to do this project, we we wanted to what I wanted to do, and, and, and what we all agreed on was we wanted to make the, the game master screen that all of us would would want. You know, what is it that what is it that's missing from from other you know similar products on the market? And there are several. Uh, what's missing, and and how can we how can we just make the best thing possible? And so, basically, what we did was we we started with the idea that whatever it was that we that whatever, wherever we ended up, we wanted it to be as, as 
customizable and as individually unique to each and to each person that was using it as possible. And, and, uh, and, and that's kind of the basis. That's where we started. That was kind of our mission. And we landed on a basically fully, uh, fully magnetic, uh, fully magnetic screen system, uh, that is metal panels and wrapped in leather. Uh, it looks amazing. Uh, it's not super heavy. It, it packs down relatively small and will, you know, will have many different fully customizable elements from, uh, from, you know, wet erase, uh, from wet erase magnets that can be used for tables all the way up to initiative trackers and, uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, other, other, uh, uh, tablet holders, uh, tablet holders, phone holders, anything that, anything that the modern game master uses to help them organize information and run their games. It's, it's basically all going to be there and available, uh, as part of this, as part of the, the system associated with the screen. Is there a plugin for my, uh, AI game master to run things for me? So yeah, as, as, as long as you can run that out of your tablet or mobile <laughs> phone, yes. <laughs> yes. that's amazing you know we're not selling we, we we aren't selling the technology though sorry yeah yeah no i i just it's, <laughs> the world's evolving very rapidly right now but all right that sounds super yes. cool sounds like a, a definitely an interesting innovation on the on the model uh well pitched uh so what made you decide then to go do a kickstarter or is it kickstarter or is it a- it, it is it is going to be a kickstarter yes what what made you decide to do that all your other products you've just sold directly in stores launched yourself um, what made you decide to switch it up for this one? You know, we, it was, a, it was a long, it was a long debate. Uh, and, and where we landed was, you know, what Kickstarter or, or a crowdfunding platform, at least in our case, it provided us with the option to engage with our audience before we were completely, before the product was completely finished. So right now, I would say that you know what we're going to Kickstarter with is is an is an eighty five to ninety percent, eighty five to ninety percent product. But what we've been able to do over the course of this kind of pre you know this pre Kickstarter launch is work with we, we've 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 grown a community of of people who are interested in this project, and we have posed questions to them, design questions, uh, uh, functionality questions, and we've really been able to incorporate a lot of that feedback into the design, uh, into the design itself. And you're probably saying to yourself, well, you could do that. You could do that anyway with traditional, you know, traditional means like focus groups and things like that. And that's, that's very true. Uh, but we just saw crowdfunding as a unique opportunity to, uh, take a product, uh, like this to, and make it a reality. Yeah, no, you're you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, I've I've had I have really loved the process of building with my audience, giving feedback from them. You know, we've done this with Soul Forge Fusion, we did this with Ascension Tactics, we have our Shards of Infinity Saga Collection Kickstarter coming up soon. And it's something that, you know, I I joke it shouldn't be called Kickstarter, it should be called Kick Finisher. Because I think people, you know, <laughs> yeah. if if they think they're going to bring a product that's not mostly done, but you know, and and have it be a success, then then you're mistaken, and it's a real it can be a real problem. Even when you do fund, oftentimes you don't realize how much the thing costs and too many changes. There's all kinds of problems. But if you're you know yeah. eighty yeah. to ninety percent done, and you want to be able to take that last cross that finish line, being able to bring your customers, bring your players in to be collaborative part of that process and and really help you make the best thing you can uh i think it's it's wonderful you know i mean it's, there's a lot of overhead and burden that comes with it because you want to make sure you're communicating to them and managing their expectations and you know as you go but it's 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 been very well worth it for me um and it's just i i love having a direct connection to the fans right it's a it's an opportunity for them to to talk directly to us for them to support you know, they're the creators that they love directly for them to get stuff early and some cool bonuses to show off that they're, you know, kind of the true fans. And, uh, and then they become your alpha adopters too, right? They're like, Hey, look at this cool thing I have because they were a part of making it happen. And they suggested this feature that's here, or this change to this card or this, whatever. And so it's a really, um, I think it's a great system. It's a, it's just such a cool way to be able to, you know, create and engage, um, that was not possible, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And it's been an interesting, it, it, it has been a lot of work. Uh, it's, it's a diff, like I mentioned, you know, it's, it's been a different way to work. Um, but it's been a lot of fun and we're, we're coming to the end of the, you know, we're getting to the part where, uh, you know, I'm starting to, you know, as, as a marketing and operations guy, I'm getting a little nervous, you know, have we done, have we done enough? Is it, 
Is it going to be, you know, are, are people going to react when it, when it really comes down to it? Are they going to react as positively as we, as we hope? And, and, and as we, you know, all the indicators are, are, are telling us that they will, you know, it's just, it's, it's a very, um, it's just been a nerve wracking, it's been a nerve wracking process, but very, but very unique and very interesting. So, Oh yeah. No, I mean, I've been, I've done, I don't know. I don't have lost count now, maybe half a dozen Kickstarters I've been involved in and raised probably $2 million worth. And I still, every time it's always like nerve wracking. Did I do everything right? Is this communicated clearly? Are we on the right track? Should we change something? It's just, there's no, like, there's no, <laughs> there's no escaping the, the pre-launch jitters. So, uh, you're in good company. Don't worry. <laughs> good deal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. All right. So if, uh, if anybody uh, that's listening now is super excited and, uh, wants to, uh, go check out the Kickstarter, which will most likely be live now by the time this launches, uh, what, uh, where should they go? How should they find it? It is the ultimate game master.com. The ultimate game master.com. That's a good URL. I like it. Yeah. So like it. Well we, done. uh, yeah. So the ultimate game master.com that'll get you connected to both, uh, to both the development group as well as the, as well as the Kickstarter once it's live. Cool. All right, cool. So, so now we've gotten, we've gone through your past. We've talked about the present. Uh, what do you, what do you see as the future? What do you think is, uh, you know, the industry is evolving a lot. We, you know, we, we kind of half joked a little bit about AI game masters and, you know, technology is evolving very quickly. The tabletop gaming space and accessory space is, you know, by, it's certainly been growing, but, but by another measure, it's certainly, it's gotten pretty crowded. Uh, where do you see, you know, the industry growing? What things are you excited about in the future? What things are you afraid of in the future? What's, what's, what's the future look like from your, from your angle in the industry? Um, there's a lot, so, you know, depending on who you talk to right now, there's, it, it's, it, there's a lot of, of, of kind of short term doom and gloom, I think with, with the, with the, with the market in the industry in general, but I, I am pretty positive, you know, uh, as far as like things that I want to work on. I've actually, you know, believe it or not, we can talk about this some other time. I actually have a game idea, believe it or not, uh, that has a lot to, that has a lot of elements that you and I have, have discussed on a couple of different occasions. I, I don't know if you'd be interested in it or not, but I'd really like uh, to do is, it. Is it one you're willing to talk about on the podcast? Cause I'm happy to I make mean, game ideas live. Maybe we, maybe we have a chat and we get a little bit down the road on the idea together. And then we talk about it in a different podcast. All right. All right. But, uh, yeah. but no, you know, I think AI is interesting. It's, it's a big topic right now. And, and I, I think I am one of these people that I think that I think the cat's out of the bag at this point. And I don't think you're going to put it back. Uh, I think there, I think there probably needs to be some, uh, a hard look at, uh, regulation to a degree, uh, just to make sure that as these tech, as this technology continues to develop and evolve, and I mean, evolve with like a capital E, uh, that, that it is done in a way that's responsible, but I think it's here and I don't think it's going anywhere. So I think rather than, rather than fight against it, uh, and, and fight against, uh, the, the use, the, the incorporation of this technology into our lives. I think, you know, I am of the opinion that we should embrace it responsibly, uh, again, with a capital R and, and take advantage of the, of the uh, opportunities that, that a technology like AI brings to the table. Um, and I, th- and, and there, I think there are a lot of different ways that it, that it can be used in, in gaming in a positive way. Uh, so, so I think it's going to be, so I think AI and I'm not a, look, I'm not a technologist. I don't see the future or anything like that, but I think that, I think it's going to be an increasingly important part of, of, of the gaming industry and, uh, and, and just kind of our lives in general. Um, but I think that the, the creators out there that, that I know, and I think the ones I would imagine the ones that, you know, you included, um, are going to continue to have great ideas and are going to continue to are going to continue to create, uh, create games and, and, and products and, uh, opportunities in the market for, for people to, for people to engage and enjoy and for the community to grow. So I'm, I'm positive. I'm upbeat. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, uh, I share your, your overall optimism. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of these times where it is, you know, potentially the greatest technological disruption that has ever occurred in all of human history. So it's, it's, totally understandable to me that people are nervous and that there's you know anxiety around what's next and and i think it's 
it's very hard for anyone to know what's next here. The, the evolution of it is so fast, right? I mean, ChatGPT, I think, just became publicly available in like October. So we're really like six, 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 seven months or so of like public play in the space. And then GPT-4 was only like three or four months ago. And so there's like a huge amount of, of changes. The, the evolution of how much what you can do with art on, you know, things like mid-journey is, is, is rapidly evolving. You know, what does it mean to be an artist nowadays? What is it, you know, what is fair use? What is the, you know, what is the nature of the innovation of AI? How much of it is copying? What is the places where it can help someone to be more productive? I mean, I will, I will tell you, we have, yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued by it. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, not just to go a little rant for myself. Like I always love like what every new technology you know, obsolete certain types of skills and and encourages new types of innovations, right? And I have always tried to be at the forefront of what technology can do, right? When I first started working on the original version of SoulForge with Richard Garfield, we did, it was the first, really one of the first digital trading card games. It was the first really, in my opinion, well-designed natively digital trading card game, right? Before Hearthstone, before any of these other ones, because that was new technology. You could play games like that on your, you know, you had tablets and phones that didn't exist before and then you know with the newer version where we're doing the hybrid digital deck you know digital printing that was exciting and new was not possible before and scanning decks into an online account and managing that and yeah. now you know what is that now what is unlocked with ai that couldn't be done before what types of games are possible of being created and there's huge things i know people that are playing in the space and you know again there are ai dungeon masters in fact you can even just use the basics of chat gpt to be an ai dungeon master for you it's not great but it's okay uh and you can you know and then there's you know and the, what npcs and games can look like what types of you know ideation and creation you can do i've definitely used it to help make my rule books better already um you know there's like a lot of little pieces that are already with current technology uh useful ways to improve what you do uh it's not replacing any game designers i know yet <laughs> maybe it will uh but uh it's a fascinating space to be um have you have you used it for anything uh of substance uh, uh so far or just kind of keeping an eye on it of, of substance not really i've played around with i've played around with a, a one of the junior versions of chat gpt uh just to kind of i mean it, you know it's it, I think in the position that I'm in, I'd be silly to bury my head in the sand, you know, uh, like I basically try to do with social media. Uh, but I, you know, so I, I like to understand how things work and what the capacities are. So I have played around with it but of substance, you know, no, I think I, I think the most substantive thing I've tried to do with one of the chat GPT iterations was, uh, I, I fed it the prompt of a, of a Dungeons and Dragons character I played at a campaign last year and, uh, had it write a background. So, and it was, you know, it wasn't like, or a backstory, like a, like an origin story. And it was, you know, it was okay. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't great, but it was, you know, it was okay. It was something. Well, right. Well, the fact that, that a machine can do that at all, and you could just like, you know, say, Hey, write me the thing, or, you know, it's really fun. I mean, like we had a, yeah, like somebody on my team had a rap battle between me and Richard Garfield and it made one that was like, wow, it knew enough about both of us. And it was like kind of hilarious. And I'm like, well, all right, we're not using that for anything, but, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> impressive that it could come up with an answer like that you know or we do every one of our soul forge fusion cards because they all show up in three levels all of yep. our um all of our flavor text is haikus so it's like one line on each of the level of levels of the three cards and so we wrote all of those ourselves at the beginning but now it's like well okay this you know it's really good at making cool you know poems haikus you know these kinds of things in a way that's like you know in 30 seconds it can generate you you know 50 of these so it's like a really interesting thing maybe you won't use them exactly but they give you great starting points like i find ideation is really helpful by just having a bunch of ideas even bad ideas are actually helpful when you ideate yeah. a lot of research like this, um, <laughs> yeah, what's, what's, this what's really embarrassing for me is i've probably played i've probably played close to 20 games of soul forge fusion and i never noticed that yeah, yeah, that's okay. It's not. Uh, it's actually one of the uh, one of the 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 interesting dilemmas. I often advise other people about this, but you know, if you innovate too much, um, you lose people, right? And so, Soulful Fusion has so many little innovations going on that like nobody knows. So, you know, there's that piece. There's the fact that every single card is numbered. It tells you where, how many times that card was printed, when that card was printed. So you have like lots of little hidden number ones in the bottom corner of every card uh you have all kinds of like little interesting things that are uh you know cool and i like them but uh, most people don't know about them yet so that's how many haikus how many haikus did you have to write when you originally 
Oh man, like hundreds. I mean, it was a lot. <laughs> we actually, it was a, it was a lot of haikus, and I give a lot of credit to uh, to George Rockwell, who's our our creative director, who wrote the vast majority of them. But also, we wow. did uh, in our in our Stoneblade Discord, we ran contests, and so we'd say we we'd post the image of the card and kind of a little bit about what it does, and we'd have people do haiku contests, yeah. and it was awesome. So we have a lot of them were written actually by fans, by players. That's great. Um, and so we do that every set. We uh we have some a couple of them that are uh, that are posted. To the fans so it's it's really a entertaining uh part of the process i find having restrictions uh for these things is really just helpful in general like any kind of creating some some structure around what you do uh is uh is really really valuable uh yeah that's cool <laughs> We had That's another cool. Easter egg. I don't think I've actually ever spoiled this Easter egg, but we did uh, for every one of our games for the first several releases. We uh, we use the same letters for the for the set names for the expansion set names. We use the same like acronyms, uh, and just because making set names is just hard, and so we just did the same. We did the same thing. So it was like um, uh, we have like a Return of the Fallen. It was the first expansion for Ascension, mm-hmm. and Relics of the Future is the first expansion for Shards of Infinity, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and the first expansion for Soulforge was Rise of the Forgeborn, <laughs> and uh, so just like ah, you know what, let's give ourselves a little extra challenge, and so we created this little uh, little Easter egg that again I don't think I've ever actually revealed until this very moment. Uh, That's but awesome. I'd say, <laughs> no, not not expect anybody to ever notice those things, but it makes it more fun for us and creates these little uh, extra fun uh, challenges for as you're as you're designing. Well, I think it gives, it's little things like that. I mean, and we do, uh, you know, when we're, when we're designing products, you know, there are things that we, you know, little elements that, you know, we will try to incorporate and maintain consistency across, across products as well. And, you know, I think that's what really gives, I mean, that's what gives your, that's what gives your creations a a real depth and a, and a, and a, and a sense of, 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 I don't know, life is not the right word, but just, uh, of being, you know, like that, that story background and that the, the depth of creativity that goes into the stuff that we do, just even, even as minor as it might be of using the same, you know, using the same acronym for, for your expansion sets. I mean, that's, you know, you know, there will be people that recognize that at some point and having never heard your spoiler and that, you know, and they're going to, that's going to mean something. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, you know, look, you, the love and care. I think the end of the day that what we've what we've taken out of this is that regardless of what uh, you do, right, the love and care and detail that you put into it makes a big difference. That your you know players, your fans, your customers, they will they will notice that, and it will uh, you know it shines through. And frankly, forget like forget commercial success for a minute, right? What what matters is that you you express yourself in your art. Like the things you create are an expression of you and right. you being able to bring that forward, whether it be humor in, you know, in a haiku or a, you know, really cool extra detail about the magnetic way that the boards connect for a game master screen or, you know, the thing that you've always wanted to see that wasn't there. Like being able to bring that stuff to life is just, that's what, to me, that's what success looks like, right? That's what a part of that, you know, uh, uh, in, in 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 an artistic expression. That's kind of the the end goal. So, regardless of if nobody ever notices it, you know, it's still yeah. a, a part of why you know why we create things in the first place. Yeah, no, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I my the, the greatest compliment that I can get uh, is is having you know seeing the look on somebody's face when. When they see, you know, when they react, when they have a positive, you know, or react positively to a product that I've had a hand in designing, um, and they, and it makes them, you know, it brings them joy. It makes them, you know, brings them to a place where, you know, uh, where they are going to, you know, they're going to have a, a, a positive and personal connection to that, you know, to that set of dice or, 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 or that dice tower or whatever that thing is that may seem, you know, really minor. That's what really, that's why I just keep doing this, you know, like it's that, it's that, uh, that reaction being able to bring, you know, being able to make that connection with somebody. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And, and I don't know if you have, if you have more insights into this, but I think it's something that's really interesting. You know, the, what you bring to the table with these accessories is a lot of this, like this tactile, this like presence, this like feeling that changes, right? Like I can, I could play, Dungeons and Dragons with any set of dice, but if I use 
this set of dice and this die, you know, rolling tower, right? It like it changes the vibe and the feel of what's happening. Do you I don't know if you can break this down in any more detail, but I think it's like a really fascinating thing. It's like what is it that makes that jump, right? What are the are there certain traits or things that you look for when you're like, no, no, this is what's gonna bring this thing to life or this this feel, or is it just kind of you know it when you see it and you touch it? Yeah, man, it's such a difficult it's such a difficult question to answer. I mean Sometimes it's a sometimes it's a big process of trial and error, but but most of the time you nailed it. It's just you know it when you see it. You know, um, I work with an extremely talented uh, 3D illustrator, and their capacity to take what I call I, how I explain it to people is like their capacity to take the crazy out of my out of my mind. And, and, and whatever my scribblings are on paper and turn it into, you know, turn it into this, like just beautifully rendered version of, of what I saw in my, you know, what I saw in my mind. I mean, it's just, I, you, you, you do know it when you see it, you know, and, and, uh, we, we constantly try to push the boundaries of, of what our, uh, you know, what technology that are available to us can, can do with this, with the products that we, that we that we develop and design. So, and I just, I want those things to be, I want those things to look as good and be as cool as they possibly can be at the, at the most accessible, at the most accessible price that they possibly can just so that most, so that more people can, 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 can touch and feel and, and, and enjoy and, uh, and just, uh, engage, uh, in a way that they weren't able to before. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so that, that process, as you kind of outlined it, is sort of like, you'll have an idea, you'll describe that idea. You have a 3d designer that'll kind of draw it up, mock it up for you. You'll maybe go back and forth with them till you get something that you're, that mirrors what you're looking for. Then you'd go to a factory to quote it out and see what it would look like and then maybe get a prototype done. Or is that, is that the general flow for you typically that's pretty close you know we so i mean typically how we would how we do i mean there's a a couple of of little nuanced differences there but i mean uh yeah so so for for one of the three you know three-dimensional like hand-painted resin pieces that we make you know we'll have an i we'll have an idea our artists will sketch it out we'll we will go back and forth and you know fine-tuning you know fine-tuning the small details and you know those small details could be as fine as the as the, as the grain in the wood of, of a piece or the, or the, you know, the font of the, you know, font of lettering or, or something, just something really minor, but like, it's those, those aggregated small details uh, or the weathering on some, some metal strapping or something like those small details that really bring, that really bring a, a piece, an art, an art, an art piece like this really to life. And so we'll go back and forth on those details. And then we'll either, we will either, you know, 3d print a prototype uh, if, if it's a dice tower, for example, like we'll make sure that, uh, we'll make sure that, that it functions the way that it needs to function. Um, and then once we have, you know, once we have a working, once we're happy with the prototype, then we'll send it to mold and, uh, we'll, we'll have the mold made and then we'll have a test print, you know, we'll have a test, uh, a, a test product made from the mold. We'll make sure that it, you know, we'll make sure that it works. And then we'll have our, uh, we, you know, we'll have our, our, we have some painters that are in-house that are, are really good at what they do and we'll have them uh, finalize the painting scheme. And then we'll, we'll take photos of that and we'll send that to the factory. We'll make sure that everybody agrees. And, and that's kind of it. And then once we're, once we're, once we're there, it's, it's ready to go, you know, I, and, and then there's, there's other stuff too, you know, there's packaging, there's UPCs, there's, you know, making sure that the, the box is the right size and that the, the padding in the box is, is, is appropriate for the product inside so that, it, you know, it passes the three foot drop test, you know, stuff, all that stuff uh, happens as well. So, but yeah, we probably, like you said, we probably need a whole other episode to really dive <laughs> enough into the, the whole manufacturing I mean, process. Just opened, I opened a bigger door than me. No, too. no, it's, I mean, I, I, I am also fascinated by that stuff, but yeah, I agree. I don't think we have time uh, today for that. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really key to you know just to give a highlight of all the stuff that goes into it and designing products well um you know going uh you know through the the totality of idea into into stores and so i think we covered a, a lot of that here so i i appreciate you coming on and sharing that because i think uh, a lot of people just don't don't have that insight so um it's been a lot of fun i appreciate it 
Yeah. So, okay. So we've already talked a little bit about, um, you know, how they can get access uh, to the Kickstarter, but what are the, what are the best ways for them to find you, find your stuff, uh, if they want to follow up and see all these so beautiful things you're creating? Uh, we're pretty easy to find. We're forgedgaming.com. So F-O-R-G-E-D gaming.com. And then uh, if you're, if you're interested in, in some pretty pictures of pretty pictures of dice or dice towers, you can find us on Instagram at, uh, at forged dice. Awesome. All right, man. Well, this has been a pleasure and uh, I am uh, sure that we will get to share uh, more stories together at, uh, at a convention soon and good luck with the campaign. Hey, thanks, Justin. It's great talking to you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to support the podcast, please rate, comment, and share on your favorite podcast platforms, such as iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever device you're listening on. Listener reviews and shares make a huge difference and help us grow this community and allow me to bring more amazing guests and insights to you. I've taken the insights from these interviews, along with my 20 years of experience in the game industry, and compressed it all into a book with the same title as this podcast, Think Like a Game Designer. In it, I give step-by-step instructions on how to apply the lessons from these great designers and bring your own games to life. If you think you might be interested, you can check out the book at thinklikeagamedesigner.com or wherever fine books are sold.